What's up, Pickleheads? This week we want to talk about what separates an advanced player from an intermediate or maybe a beginner player. The average Joe versus the 5.0 or 5.0 plus or even the pro. And it all comes down to one thing. But before we do that, if you would take two seconds to hit the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube, we would really appreciate it. Or hit follow if you're on Spotify or on Apple. We also have Picklehead hats for sale. You can check those out. We'll throw the link down there um, for anyone that wants to be a Picklehead. They're dope hats, so get yourself one. Chaos, let's dive into this. First of all, what's up? You having a good week? Yeah, super good week so far. Um, refining my app. So I came up with a new, because the app right now is just kind of like words, lots and lots of words, and then there's videos as well, but there's just so many words, and it's not very appealing looking. So I redesigned everything, and it's probably going to be a few months before the final product is out, but I'm waiting to get a a few quotes from a few people, and I'm going to go with whichever one's the cheapest, because I'm that guy. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll probably end up going with... Uh, a guy that's here local, which would be awesome because then I can meet with him. And that was the problem with the app before is it's like I'd explain something to the guy and he lives in Pakistan and his English wasn't the greatest. Plus he doesn't even know what pickleball is. So like right. that was a challenge because I had to explain everything. And, but I mean, the app's good. It's a good foundation. It's just not what I wanted it to be yet. So yeah, we're getting there. So that's been... Well, that's shocking that fun. it turned out as good as it did, considering the distance between right. you guys, language barrier, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah. like you said, it's already a good app, but you're looking to improve upon it. If anyone wants to improve their game, they don't want to go pay for a coach. Um, it's a lot easier. You have a virtual coach. Austin gives free drills on there. There's also a paid version if you want uh, even more. So. Go check it out, Pickleball Playbook app. It's pretty cool. Yeah, what about you? How's your week going so far? It's good. So today is Monday. Um, actually got a lot of stuff done today. Uh, yeah, I mean, not much to report. Good weekend. Yeah, I can't really think yeah. of anything that uh, was life-changing today or this weekend, but uh, nothing bad to report either, so that was good. Yeah, that's good. All right, so let's talk about this one thing. What separates an advanced player from maybe an intermediate player? Or what separates the pros from the average Joes? I've heard, and I've told you this before, I've heard multiple pros talk about this. Uh, The first one that I ever heard talk about this was actually the goat of all goats, Mr. Dave Weinbach. So shout out to him. (laughs) If you don't know who he is, look him up. He's a trip, and he's also a good player. He's a senior pro. Uh, Another one I heard this from recently was Ben Johns. And he talks about specifically in the midcourt and having consistency in the midcourt so that you can make your way to the net. Yeah. I think once we hit a certain level loss, like maybe we hit that four or five level, we think that all of our drops have to be perfect. All of our drives have to be perfect. But what's more important than that, and that's what these pros have taught, is actually consistency. So Dave Weinbach, when I learned from him, it was 
if you're going to miss, miss high. You always have a better chance of winning the point if you can get the ball over the net versus not getting the ball over the net. There's a 0% chance you win the point if you don't get the ball over. You at least have a 1% plus chance of winning the point if you can get it over the net. And so consistency is huge, especially in the midcourt. So uh, for those of you that may be at the beginner level, the midcourt is the area between the kitchen or the non-volley zone and the baseline. If you can consistently make balls in that area, you will get to the kitchen line more often. And those that get to the kitchen line more often win more points. Would you agree with that, Oz? Yeah, 100%. It's like... It's difficult to say if you're going to miss miss high. That kind of stuck out to me. It's like it's difficult to say that just because when you're playing, you're not thinking, oh, if I miss, I'm just going to miss high type sure. of thing. But it is really good advice if you just, if you implement it in the sense of always aiming a little bit higher, always going for a little bit higher rather than lower. Because as Spencer said, if it goes... Too low, it's obviously in the net. The point's instantly over. And so when we're hitting these drops and resets and dinks, we want to create a little bit of a margin for error as we're hitting them and aiming high enough to where if we if we miss, it's like it's not because we weren't aiming high enough. And if it is slightly high, they're going to hit an overhead on it or a harder ball. But as we're talking about in this podcast, that's where we're going to learn how to transition in this midcourt because a lot of these balls are going to be high. But if we have Colin Johns-like uh, athleticism and we've hit as many balls as he has, it's going to be a lot more easy and simple for us to be able to transition into the net. So I, I like how Spencer said it's the biggest difference between getting from the level that you're at now to the next level, but also... When you get to these more advanced levels, everybody just has their resets so refined and their transition game so refined mm-hmm. where they feel comfortable in no man's land. Have you heard of it being referred to as no man's land? I know that that's a tennis term. But yeah. Have you? In my in my little bit of tennis experience, yeah, that's what you that's what I've I've heard and I you know, I know that carried over from tennis uh I don't really like it because it doesn't always apply like in tennis. I mean, just a little bit of tennis that I know you're not supposed to be there at all. Whereas in pickleball, you should be able to hang out in that area for a minute until you have the opportunity to, to work your way up. I, I like to try to always gradually work my way up unless my partner and I have established, Hey, on this point, we're going to shake and bake. And I'm, you know, I'm sprinting to the net, but if not, I prefer to methodically get there, but more importantly, consistently get there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, go on what you were saying about the midcourt or the, or no man's land. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. No man's land isn't the right term and that's why they've changed it to, you know, midcourt or trying to think of the other word for it. Transition zone is because Mm -hmm. it's not. You, you're fine to be there in pickleball. Whereas in tennis, if you're there, point's almost always over because that ball's going to be coming another 20, 30, 40, 50 miles an hour faster. And it's going to land at your feet and you just have no chance at it. Whereas in pickleball, it's not going to be as fast. 
And so it can be a spot that you kind of hang out and you use that margin for error aiming a little bit higher until you feel like the ball has landed or is going to land in the kitchen. And then you can press forward getting to the non-volley zone line, which is the ultimate goal. A lot of players will just stay back and hit bangs and drives from the baseline and not worry about getting into the net. But you're always at a deficit if you're not up at the net. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's no no man's land in pickleball. It is the transition zone. You're trying to transition in, but you should be comfortable there. And the more comfortable that you can get there, the higher level, level player you're going to be. That's a perfect explanation. The more comfortable you can be in what we used to call no man's land, that's just a, a great explanation. Then the and the and the, I would say the faster you're going to get better. Because yeah. that position is so important. That's where so many balls are missed. Uh, people try to hit, you know, perfect drops from that position. But another thing I was thinking about is, so if we're at the baseline, uh, one of my strategies a lot of times is to drive. My drive is rarely ever to hit it 100% speed, and we've talked about this before. It's rarely hit it at 100% speed and try to win the point off of that one drive, you know, as a passing shot. But typically, it's to hit it hard enough and low enough so that my next shot can be a little bit easier. And so I'm trying to methodically make my way to the net. It should be the same way for the midcourt. We should be trying to methodically make our way to the net. Again, you're much better off hitting the ball over the net than you are hitting it into the net or missing because you tried to hit the perfect drop. Instead, hit multiple consistent drops, and one of those will be a really good one, and then you can make your way to the kitchen. And I really think that's what separates advanced players from from intermediate and and even lower. Uh, One point to make, and I have my paddle with me today, is I've noticed I can be much more consistent if the head of my paddle is down or at least somewhat down. I have noticed a lot of people in the midcourt are trying to get balls with the head of their paddle uh, somewhat angled like this. And I'm, uh, I, I would say I, I do that as well sometimes by accident or sometimes I'll be here, but I have noticed more accuracy when my paddle head can be farther down right. and my paddle face can be somewhat open. So obviously the more open it is, the higher you're gonna hit the ball. We're not saying hit lobs, we're not saying hit it high on purpose, but you wanna have it somewhat open. So pretend I was facing this way, for any of you that are watching, uh, I'm looking to my left. This is approximately how open you want your paddle to be. If your paddle is flat and you're trying to hit the perfect drop, that ball is going to bounce and hit straight into the net or maybe hit the ground. So you got to give yourself a, a little bit of open so that you can get it over. Anyway, just those two tips, at least for me specifically, with the paddle, try to have the head of your paddle down and try to have your face somewhat open. Do you do yeah, the I same thing, Oz? Yeah, exactly. You want to have your paddle face slightly open. doesn't need to be straight up and down like Spencer was showing. So if you guys aren't watching on YouTube, hop on there really quick so that you can see. Can't they watch a little bit on Spotify? Yeah, no? you can watch the whole thing on Spotify too. The it's only crazy. place you can't watch it is Apple. I heard Spotify is uh, 
losing money. They they have like a net loss, I guess. Really? For last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because they don't really... Joe Rogan's podcast is on there. You would think they would be right? better off than they were, not worse. But Well, Flip, we're on there. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we're bringing them in some yeah. dough, dude. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, side note, but when I am resetting and I'm in that transition zone, I'm, as Spencer was showing, I'm using a backhand for a majority of my resets because I have so much more reach with my backhand. I can go all the way to my right side and all the way to my left side without any problems because that ball is going to be low. If the ball starts to get high, then it gets a little bit tricky and a forehand is going to make more sense on my dominant side. But since the ball is going to be low for these resets, in order for them to hit it in the court where we're standing, it's going to have to be low anyway. So it just makes sense to hold it on the backhand side. Then you aren't left guessing whether to do a forehand or a backhand. You could just stick it to that backhand side. That's the first thing. The second thing is the transition zone really shouldn't exist if you are good enough to be able to hit your initial drop in. But sure. even the pros, no no pro is going to be perfect. But the more that you practice, the more that you'll be able to recognize, and that's what it comes down to. So you're looking at your partner, and you're looking at the trajectory of their ball if they're hitting it, or you're looking at the trajectory of your ball if you're hitting it. And you should be able to instantly tell whether or not that ball is going to bounce in the kitchen or it's going to be too high and they're going to end up wailing on it again. So based off of your experience and hitting so many of these, getting out and drilling, you're going to know exactly when when to move forward and just totally disregard the transition zone or to utilize the transition zone and just stay there and be comfortable being in it. But it's kind of an interesting thing because you'll have a lot of people that will coach you that you should stay in the transition zone, stay in the transition zone, be patient, hit at least four, and then go forward. But it just comes down to recognizing when that ball is going to land in the kitchen. As soon as you know that, sprint forward as fast as you can. The last thing that I will say is when you get forward, you need to make sure that you're split stepping, which simply means you're just splitting your feet apart and you're stopping your momentum from going forward. Big, huge problem is people will not split step. So by the time your opponent hits the ball, they don't split. They don't split step, and so it makes it so that this person is off balance and running straight through that shot. And if they end up hitting it slightly to the side of them, they now can't react to that shot. That initial split step is going to send signals to your brain of accuracy and helping you to be able to utilize the side-to-side movement. Whereas if you're just straight up running forward without any, any stop, you're not going to be able to react as fast. So that's my main thing. Spencer, would you say that you err on the side of holding backhand or have you thought about it before? Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because I would have completely forgot. So the majority of any balls that I'm taking in the midcourt is going to be my backhand. It's more consistent. It makes more sense. You technically have more reach across your body and any of those awkward areas with your backhand. And I've explained this to people that I've taught before. Uh, and even my son recently, I've explained to him how your forehand can only cover awkwardly right here and then to the right of me. So I have my hand in the, I have my right hand in the ha- in the air. This is my forehand because I'm right-handed. I have it in the air, like directly in front of my shoulder. That one even is kind of an awkward shot because I'm, the ball is on my body, but all I can cover with my forehand is from there and then all the way to my right. 
Whereas if I hold backhand, I can cover that same spot, my right shoulder more consistently, or my right hip more consistently. I can get all the way across my body with my backhand, not awkward at all, it feels comfortable, and yeah. I can go all the way to my left with my backhand. So I try to, as much as I possibly can, use that backhand. If I get an awkward high one towards my right, yeah, sometimes it'll be the forehand. Or if I get a ball that's extremely to my right, obviously I use a forehand. But man, I'm so glad you brought that up. Try, if it's, you can, to coach your brain to use your backhand in these situations, and you'll notice the consistency uh, go way up. It's interesting because you're going to be hitting majority of backhands anyway just because that ball is going to be low because they have to hit it into the court. You're in the transition zone. Since they have to hit down, the ball is going to be low anyway, so you'll be able to get it with your backhand. And if you watch Colin Johns, who's the best resetter of all time, mm-hmm. he hits. he's hitting backhands over here on the right side of his body. He's a right-handed player hitting backhands on the right side of his body for almost every single reset that he hits. And only when it's way far out there is he switching to a forehand. Something interesting, and I want to hear from you guys as well as Spencer, is for me, I'm a lot quicker going from my backhand side to my forehand side. This movement here, I'm a lot quicker. Whereas going from my forehand side to my backhand side, I don't know what it is, but like I can feel it right when I do this, when I'm moving from forehand to backhand, yeah, I feel slower that way, which I don't feel like should be right because I can definitely throw a whole lot further forward than I can backwards. But going from backhand position to forehand position, I feel twice as fast doing that. So if I'm holding a backhand majority of the time and then something comes out wide to my forehand shoulder, I feel like I can get to that ball 95% of the time. But if I'm holding a forehand ready to counter or a forehand ready to reset the ball. And then I go to my backhand. It's just so much slower and I'm not going to be able to counter that ball as well. But I would like to hear what you guys think. And you Spencer, what about for you? Is it faster for you to go from backhand to forehand or forehand to backhand? (laughs) I don't have a clue. I haven't really thought about it, but I do sit somewhat backhand because I know the majority of those balls I'm going to be hitting backhand. So for anyone watching right now, Um, I sit somewhat and Austin would be against this, but somewhat of a locked wrist and, and somewhat backhand. What do we call this? Maybe 10 o'clock or so. Yeah. Uh, I'm never sitting, sitting on it with the forehand because then I got to pull it all the way over and the majority of the balls are backhand. So I don't know the science behind it, but I do know that I'm much more consistent when my ready position sits this way Os, we've talked about this on a podcast before but let's bring this up again on why some of these top pros with fast hands um don't really have a ready position like it's more of a tennis thing and they're keeping their paddle low just explain that again to us real quick yeah, so we we like figured this out together while we were on the podcast, honestly, because yeah. I was, well, I figured it out just before because I was trying to figure out why J.W. Johnson's ready position, his paddle's down by his thigh. It's like, how does that translate into the fastest hands in pickleball, which he has them? And then you have someone like Ben Johns, who arguably has some of the fastest hands as well, who's ready position. His outside edge, top edge of his paddle, I guess it's his inside edge. I don't know if that would be inside or outside. 
but his top of it, edge of his paddle is pointing upwards, which is not anywhere near where J-Dubs is, but they both have fast hands. And then you have Annalie Waters, who has the tip of her paddle pointing upwards. Yeah. So we're like, wait, wait a second. Like, how how do all these people have such fast hands, and they, yet they have such vastly different ready positions? Annalie's up here, J-Dubs down there. Yeah. And what it comes down to is two things. First of all, if you have a one-hander or a two-hander, meaning one-handed backhand or two-handed backhand. And the second thing is whether you want to hit topspin or underspin on your counters, what you're more comfortable with. For JW, you see all of his counters are topspin. So he's starting low and he finishes high. He's also He also has a one-hander. So he can just simply invert his wrist, meaning he points if he's hitting backhand, points the tip of his paddle towards the left since he's right-handed and he inverts that wrist and then he just simply swings up from there. He doesn't have to worry about going down up. So he's hitting topspin and that's how he hits all of his counters. And then you get Anna Lee and she's also hitting topspin, but the tip of her paddle is up, is upwards. And so I was like, oh, interesting. But it's because she has a two-handed backhand. Yep. And so since you have a two-handed backhand, you're going to create topspin on it by creating this small C motion. So tip of paddle is up and then you pull your paddle back. And as you're doing that, you put the tip of your paddle down and you're building momentum. And then you drop the tip of your paddle down towards the ground and then you lift up and you're hitting topspin. And that's going to create a ton of power. If she had JW's ready position, even with two hands on the paddle and all that she did was simply come upwards from there, She's not going to have nearly the amount of countering power that she would have if she didn't create that small C motion prior and have her paddle up. So it makes sense for her to have her paddle up. So, I mean, the jury's still out on it, on what the exact reasons could be. But if you have your paddle up and you have a one-hander, you're going to have to counter anything below your paddle with underspin. Yeah. So I would not suggest that for one-handers. I would suggest something closer to Ben Johns where it's out in front of him, tip is slightly upwards. Then you can, you know, have that perfect in-between of either hitting underspin or topspin, whereas J-Dub's just way down there and it's just going to be topspin. And if you have a two-hander, I'd suggest having your paddle upwards. If that makes sense. Perfect explanation. I love it. So yeah, hopefully it wasn't confusing for those listening, but <laughs> yeah, to sure narrow this all down, what separates the average Joe or what separates, you know, an intermediate to advanced player from a pro is going to be consistency. Um, and specifically that consistency in the mid court, uh, we yep. don't want anyone to think that, Hey, pickleheads say you should stay in the mid court all day long and you should camp out there. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying err on the side of slightly high so that you can improve your consistency and that will give you more opportunities to get to the net. Um, don't kill the point before the point needs to be killed. Don't yeah. uh, go for too much and miss the ball when you have a better chance of winning if even if you are uh, you know, a little bit high. So consistency over anything else and that's what we wanted to bring today. Anything else, Oz, you want to add? No, I think that's it. Cool, man. All right, thanks everybody for for uh, watching or listening. 
uh, we do highly suggest you watch this podcast. If you did listen to it when you're driving or whatever, uh, when you get back home, check it out on YouTube. Uh, you can definitely learn more as we try to explain these things uh, on video. But we appreciate all you guys, and we will see you next week. Later. Later.